listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's 102, 102nd edition of The RC Podcast. I'm Mike Seymour in the studio with Jason Wingrove. How are you, sir? Hello, everybody. Coming to you from a lovely wet Sydney uh, as part of our Thanksgiving celebrations. We're thanking our lucky stars that we're not... Floating away, I think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, obviously Thanksgiving in the USA today. Um, so to you, our American listeners, I hope you're enjoying time with family and whatever it is that you do at Thanksgiving, which I'm not really quite sure that is. But it, it seems, seems to be pumpkin pie is pretty much all I've seen Twitter's about. Yay, pumpkin pie. That's it. I do like pumpkin pie, but I must admit we tend to eat them in Australia uh, just as vegetables, not as dessert. But hey, that's uh, completely relevant to our podcast today. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, some really interesting stuff today. We have a great uh, guest in the Red Room, thanks to you, Jason. Can you? Um we have the lovely and always interesting, uh, somewhat controversial Mr. Shane Halbert, uh, ASC, who's out what he's been up to since last time we talked a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, thank yes. you, Shane. And, uh, and it's always interesting to hear Shane talk. Yeah, he, he try and stop him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Actually, the thing I like about Shane is that um, I find myself disagreeing with him, and then I stop him to pause, and I think, well, actually, he is quite successful. Do you have any right to argue with him? Um, <laughs> That's right. But Exactly. How many Terminators have you shot? Yeah, I know. I know. But um, I don't pretend for a second uh, to be more knowledgeable than him, but he does get me thinking, which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone that challenges your thinking is a good thing. Um, and we have a fairly light news uh, bent going into today, but we do have a little bit of news. So let's uh, get straight to the news desk. And now, the RC News. Well, do you want to start with this Canon... <laughs> yeah, Canon price, price drop, drop. So, even though it hasn't actually had a price to drop yet. Well, the Euro one is a little bit the most least like a rumor. Okay, not? Well, I think they've announced that. Well, well just just give me a sec. So basically, what happens is they announce they're going to have the launch of the Canon in Europe, and uh, a few people start noticing that the Euro price that was listed on the uh, websites is thirteen thousand Euro. Not fifteen thousand euro, uh, not twenty thousand US dollars. Um, though, actually, have you actually done a conversion between euros and dollars today? No, I haven't actually. Has the global financial crisis number two return of the global financial crisis has that kicked in? It's an interesting problem, isn't it? Because if the US gets sour and goes really bad, the US dollar actually becomes worth more, which I don't really think is fair on the rest of us. But apparently, that's what what how it works in these. <laughs> these things and uh, and consequently um things get more expensive if apparently things are only marginally shaky then uh the u.s dollar goes down we go up and things get really cheap which makes for a really good time if you happen to be buying stuff in america it says about 17 at the moment but i haven't actually updated it for a while so I'll just uh, do okay that well again. i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna hit the what? magic button conversion thingy 20. as we speak um yeah, so what do you think? I mean, is there a price at which this camera becomes incredibly attractive? There must be some price that just becomes like, oh, my God, this is awesome. What, what is that number? Uh, well, I think we were all expecting – I think originally we were expecting 10, you know. I think 10 or sub-10, really, which is obviously – it's over that. As I say, Australian price still stands at like 17, 18 grand Australian. Well, isn't um, – so, okay, by my maths, though, 13,000 euro is about $18,000. Yeah, okay. Interesting. 
Mm. So, yeah, um, I think we, at that Canon launch here in Sydney, was one of the few places where they'd actually given a, what was a reasonably firm price. Well, what was your firm price that you were given? You, you were given a number, I know it was less than the 20000 I was told, in yeah, the room. Yeah, Australian. Okay, which is, by the way, almost exactly what the Euro translation price is. Interesting. Um, but, okay. Yeah. I did remember at the time one was wondering, because it was already cheaper than what had been stated in the States, so maybe... So I don't think this is a price drop. I just think this is what the prices are always going to be. Now, the question is, what is the street price on that? And the theory is, and this is where it becomes interesting, because at this point people say, ah, yes, but nothing ever sells at B&H what Canon lists it for. Yeah. And so a $18,000 list price um, will get you something at around 15 or, or less. At least that's the Twitter vibe. I mean, I think for me, um, to be honest, like I think that 10 is is good. Yeah. But I think the community would have liked 5. Well, we all would, obviously. Well, no, because I'm mean, not unprecedented either because the 5D, if you're coming at it from the 5D, it's quite a jump from the 5D. I mean, 5 is more expensive than the 5D. $5,000 US is more expensive than the 5D. Yeah. So, you know, $18,000 US is considerably more than a 5D. But if you look at what it, the camera's capable of, it's capable of, you know, it, it, it's, it's, its competition is similarly priced. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I it, mean... 15 grand or so for an F3 is probably its closest uh, rival. Did you like Stu's um, analogy, which uh, actually I heard first over to Keeler in, in America, which was that... You know, in all those movies uh, that you watch, those sort of teen movies, there's a dorky girl with glasses that has ponytails that's not very socially adept, and she hangs out with this boy who's cooler. And and this is, uh, you know, a Hughes film, and and then he kind of shows her the light, and she becomes cool. But then instead of taking the cool guy that was the geeky guy to the prom, she goes and runs off with the quarterback, and and the guy who helped make her cool and sexy is left out in the cold. In this analogy, I believe the SLR film community was the dorky kind of cool guy. The NFL playing uh, high school jock is in fact the LA film community and the chick um, that is uh, is obviously canon. And um, Wow, you guys were drinking. Yeah, no, no, but do you see the point though? Like that uh, in a sense the, the independent film community helped canon make a winner out of the 5D and then it says okay great thank you right. independent film community and yeah. now I'm going to run off and sleep with the Hollywood crowd well but it's also there were, we, were, we were wanting a lot more out of the camera so John than, than we were paying for actually sleep with him on camera but no of course not of course not it just gets implied um, but you know the camera we were all used to with, with much less features was a lot less expensive we were, we're wanting a ton more for, for the money it's just not, not going to happen is it unreasonable are we just a spoilt generation that yes. have had <laughs> the computers doing that over time because the trouble is if it's a computer that's exactly what would happen right yeah it would always be cheaper and better or the same price and better but yeah. it wouldn't be better and, and four times more expensive the trouble is that while a uh, Moore's law would apply to computer chips and an accelerated Moore's law applies to GPU processing... doesn't seem to apply with... doesn't apply uh, to lenses and optics. ...camera capability. No, bits of glass. Yeah, but, we, but the, we have this exponential expectations of stuff. You know, we used to be quite happy. Wow, just great, full frame. And wow, it can do 25 frames in a row at, per second. Awesome. We'll love it. We'll grasp it. And then, you know, a year later we go, well, hang on, this is shit. 
we well, all of a sudden we want SDI out and we want uh, electronic EVFs and you know sound levels, XLRs, manual audio controls. Da, da, da. Well, what's all this wobbly cam shit? And we don't want this aliasing crap. You know, this is shit. Oh, sorry, haven't I got all that in my epic? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, so what I thought was interesting during the week is that I don't know if you saw the thing about Steve Jobs. He announced, sorry, it was announced that in the interviews he did for his autobiography and then it, I think it appeared in the autobiography that he'd cracked television. In other words, he said, oh, yeah, I've got the way to do the you know, killer app version of television in the way that they did the killer app version of the telephone with the iPhone. I presume you saw that, right? I mean, it was quite in the popular I've press. I've heard it talked about, yeah. Yeah, okay. But I've did cracked you see, television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but that's not the story. Did you see the sort of footnote asterisk at the bottom that this was only one of three things that he said? Like the television got all the PR because, of course, it's such a huge multi-billion dollar industry. But the other two things he named were textbooks, don't ask me, mm. and cameras. Yes, that's right. He did want to reinvent photography. That was one of the three things he was keen on reinventing. Now, can you remember the name of the original Apple Snap? Um, quick Take. Quick Take. Thank you, camera. So it's not unprecedented. They, um, this would be... The Quick Take camera would be to this new project what the iPhone is to the Newton. Okay. This went straight over my head. Well, I, I think not. Um, <laughs> you're a giant of a man. I get I'm you sure now. You can I understand. Yes, that concept. You, yes, exactly. The Newton era and quick take era. Yeah. He's, he, he would be going back, um, or his legacy would be going back to revisit that. Now, I say this is incredibly exactly what we want because I've been saying for a while now that computational photography and the iPhone itself has shown you that having a lot more processing power in the camera is exactly what we want. So I'm going to go out on this limb here and I say, I say the uh, the C300, I say that is a faster horse, to use the Model T expression, because mm-hmm. Henry Ford said, if you'd ask my yeah, customers what I want, what you want, I'll give you a faster horse, he yeah. gave them the Model T. I think what we want is, you know, just lose the whole concept of the way the SLR currently works and give me something that has a computer in the back of it with the power of an iPad and has a good lens and interchangeable stuff and give me that product mm. and now I've got a, a, a complete game changer I want that thing to be able to beam stuff straight to my Facebook account in the way my iPad sorry my iPhone and my iPad but obviously mainly my iPhone can do but also you know with uh, kind of a bit more processing power because quite frankly you know the camera part of the iPhone is not the primary function of the iPhone so surely if you stuck all of the electronics in and didn't have to worry about also running a uh, you know, massively complicated cell phone at the same time, and you've got a bigger camera body, which an SLR has. Yeah, you could get some really cool stuff happening on your camera. But you could say that he's already reinvented photography anyway, giving everybody a phone that they already have and putting an amazing camera in it, and you know, it being the camera that you have with you, and also, you know, that by as a byproduct has kind of killed a lot of the you know the point and shoot happy snappy market so he has kind of reinvented a part of the photography it just hasn't fallen through gone through up to the pro market but you know don't get me started as to where we you know how we all think about how apple treats pros yeah all right but i mean the fact of the matter is that leave Apple out for a second. It doesn't have to be Apple. Somebody just has to go... I mean, sure, it's a simple... Look. Well, like isn't that Lytro? Okay, well, you got to... You put up a bloody whiteboard and you draw a grid and you say, okay, old phone, add cool new rethink, new iPhone, now single most successful product in Apple's lineup, most one of the most, yeah. if not the, one of the top two most 
uh, valued companies in the world. Hmm, that made a lot of money. And then underneath it, normal cameras, and then next to that, blank box and a question mark. Mm. Well, With, think about what, when, what did you have before an iPhone? BlackBerry. I didn't have a BlackBerry. I had, what did I have before an iPhone? Did you have like, you know, email on your phone or any of that sort of stuff? I had a Palm for a while. Mm. Actually, I saw a very sunny, funny sequence on, um, on Big Bang Theory. Did you ever watch Big Bang Theory? Yeah, all, all the time. And, and he gets out, it's a flashback, and he says, I emailed you something, and because it's in the past, he pulls out his, uh, his Palm, and he just clicks with a little stylus about yeah. 18 times <laughs> until he finally says, oh, you did. <laughs> and I'm like, I remember doing that. Um, I think there was a gap, though, between my Palm and my iPhone, but I've, I've just... Really, I have blacked that out. Yeah, but we didn't have... I mean, I had a BlackBerry and I thought it was like the best thing ever and, you know, you, it was just like completely reinvented the way, you know, I did... did I worked and, and travelled. But you don't know what... You know, you don't know what you're missing until... You don't know how shitty you've got it until the next best thing comes. You don't know that there's there's a better solution out there until it's there. You know, you don't know there's an iPhone... You're not, you're not, you're not hammering down BlackBerry's door saying, you know, this is crap. Give us something better until you know that they, that it's something's possible. I kind of know, but I reckon if you took the lens off a of 5D, it would weigh possibly more than an than an entire um, Air Apple Air. Yeah. And definitely. so, if you can get an entire screen that's 13 inches or whatever it is mm-hmm. wide, and a computer and everything into that aluminium case. And you've got this big piece of real estate that's got tons of room in it, theoretically. Yep. Why can't I have a, just a lot more functionality in my 5D? Why do I have to have such a bulky camera without that kind of cool stuff? Why can't mm. it? Why can't it? Why can't it? Ergonomics. Optics. That, no, no, I mean, that uh, is based on, on light still... as well. It's based on you know, a light path giving you an optical view. You know, Would you sacrifice have... the optical viewfinder aspects of an SLR, the reflex mirror array mm. for the functionality of everything that you get from plastic bullet and um you know mm-hmm. and, and all the other algorithms in the computational photography realm like you know working out where the picture is um geotagging uh compass stuff working out when the camera is stable to take shots getting multiple shots to get better depth of field automatic yeah, to load apps on kind yeah. of like a, you yeah. know have have a, a sort of or yeah. well, not quite open source well, but i mean but why have, the hell haven't i got a full-blown intervalometer is, on the yeah. back of this thing why yeah. can't i punch why do it i have five well, because that yeah they want you to buy the 250 dollar remote control to do it i guess yeah well, exactly also, why can't it be a touch screen that has yeah. you know very open software or you know as you say adaptable software Yes, it's it's stuck in time. You're absolutely right. So, so I say to you, listeners of this show, that's the camera I really want to get excited about. Now, at that price, I would fork out seventeen thousand, ten thousand, and get really, really excited because it would be like a revolutionary breakthrough product, and they'd sell tens of thousands and millions of them, and they'd make lots of money, and we'd all look around and go, "I don't know how I existed before I had this product," which is exactly how we feel about iPads, iPhones. But the mass market don't want out of a camera what we want out of a camera okay no no see this is the thing i say i i've heard that as well right that what the mass market wants is just their iphone but here's the thing the mass market jumped enormously in how much they're willing to pay for a phone yeah when you came out with the iphone i mean it's like before the iphone let's before you know starbucks and stuff nobody was going to pay three dollars fifty for a cup of coffee but once you give them something different that they haven't had before that they appreciate then they'll pay more money for it i mean that's just 
I think and how it is. And I yeah, just think no, that absolutely. the mass market, if it could do amazing stuff, mm. would pay more money and more people would be buying an SLR and you know, because otherwise you kind of go, well, uh, you know, can't bother taking it with me. And I guess it creates this gap now. You've got sort of point and shoots and that are doing some really nice imagery, which makes the average small three or four hundred dollar smaller sensor DSLR sort of it kind of negates a lot of that. There's not there's not enough difference between what the imagery you can get out of some of the smaller point and shoots and or, or your iPhone and, and a, a low end DSLR. So I guess people sort of you either have something crappy or you jump up to something better if you want a really good if you wanna if you wanna have a leap in image quality you've got to go Look, from maybe you've got to skip over the middle. Maybe somewhere in a garage right now there's you know a new company like Red who are going to tackle this the way Red tackled the major f- cinema market yeah. and just be like, hey, we can do this because we can amalgamate these two things. But I, I don't think that they would because I think the problem you've got is that you need the ecosystem, which is why it needs to be, I think, a bigger company to pull it off. But I think Canon's going after a traditional market with lots of respectful moves that are good moves and work mm. well but i just think that like they we just need the company that says uh and, and, and i mean obviously apple's a contender but it just needs to be somebody that says i'm not going to undercut my existing business by just turning this business on its head i mean apple didn't go into iphones and ruin its own phone business can they have one yeah is there is there a you know a google type thing Actually, having said that, they are. They're all copying iPhones at the moment. Yeah, but they're all they just sort of following original. Yeah, here's the other thing. Somebody said to me the other day. Said, uh, you know, you're going about bloody iPhones, but bloody Google have a way bigger market share. It's so much more successful. And I had to pull them up on that because um, that that is a common misperception. The the thing is that about Android phones. Yeah, hmm. they have a much bigger market share. That is absolutely true. It is bigger than the iPhone by a country mile. I'm talking like I can't. I'm, I did look up the stats when this happened, but I'm going to say like if Apple has a, you know, whatever it is, 14% share, they have like a 40% share. It's something like you know three times kind of share difference. But here's the thing: Google makes exactly like 10 bucks off um, an Android phone because it just sells the operating system to a company that then makes the handset. So Apple makes like hundreds of dollars per iPhone, um, and it has the app stores to boot. So Apple actually makes vastly more money from an iPhone than Google does from an Android phone. I mean, by not a factor of two or three, but by a factor of like 10 or 20. So, um, well, September, just a quick Google, in at least Australian market, um, Android is 15% versus iPhone uh, 50%. In the smartphone market? Yeah. I, I did see stats out of the US that that was different, that, that actually that the Android was ahead by, like, maybe twice. But, I, I, look, we're not doing an, an iPhone show, but what I'm saying is that... Um, I don't know what I'm saying. Actually, it was complete, a complete, a, shit. complete rat hole. Um, <laughs> skip that. Let's skip that. Okay, so let's get back to the show. Um, see what happens when we don't have much news. Um, <laughs> Scarlet's shipping. Yeah. Um, Tanachi, uh, Tanachi Tran uh, is a camera... I guess he's a shooter, camera rental house owner, uh, if I get him right, who has uh, received the uh, first Scarlet. It wasn't sort of as much of a fanfare of come into Red and we will shower you with Red um, 
uh, red streamers and uh, glitter cannons. Uh, it was just like, hey, here's a photo of him with his phone, with, well, actually, with his camera. I think the first thing he published was shots of flowers with shallow depths of field, which apparently is what you have to shoot when you get a new camera. Yes, we have to have flowers. Tracking, tracking um, slider shots of fruit bowls and things are pretty traditional. Yeah, that's a good idea. But, but he did then go on to shoot San Diego Bay. So, uh, congrats to Tanachi. Uh, we will try and definitely, we have tried to hook up with him. We will try and have a chat with him and sort of, I guess we want to, I was trying to hook up with him and just find out, you know, what made him push the button. You, you pushed the button, didn't you, Mike? Uh, we did push the button. Okay. So yours is imminent, I guess. The thing is, um, I guess one of the reasons why you don't have the, um, what do you call it? The, the cannons of, uh, confetti going off is that. It, Scarlet X is uh, a baby epic, so you wouldn't expect to see any footage that did look particularly yeah. different from the epic. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't expect to see anything really in terms of accessories any different because they're exactly the same. Yeah, there's no real test you can really show that says, wow. Like, oh, my God, look, this is, this is what wow, I can check do. Check it out. This yeah, is what I, I can do. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's, it's epic light. Now, is there anything wrong with that? Well, no, but that's what it is. And... Uh, it's not a fundamentally different camera. If it would have been a two-thirds inch sensor and had fixed lens or something, then you'd be like, oh, okay, I really want to see what this looks like because yeah, either I'm sceptical or, you know, how useful is it or whatever the question is. Mm. But it should be giving you pretty much identical results to the Epic. Yeah, I guess I, the main reason for wanting to contact him or speak to any Scarlet owner is just to ask them why, why they chose Scarlet over getting an X. Or you know, waiting for stage three or three and a half. So, Mike, why did you choose a Scarlet? Uh, we wanted another camera, and um, and well, mainly because you just <laughs> couldn't help yourself. Because you were there in the. Uh... What's well, your bloody fault? Because we had we have an M, we had an X. You've basically been using the X so much, we're going to sell it to you. Yep. So you'll have our X. So we'll no longer own an X. So I need a second Epic. So we'll get a Scarlet because it's a nice cheap option to have for Chicago. Um, and also because we have the M, uh, we can do all the stuff we want to do, but we want to have a backup camera. It's a cheap backup camera. Yeah. And quite frankly, Particularly you, when you would have... prefer to have the X over the Scarlet, right? Sure, because I don't have another. I don't have an M kicking around. Yeah, Indeed. so if you've already got one, it's a great second camera. And, you know, it's a great second camera for us because we can match lenses and stuff and have a... Let's say we're doing something in the States. We'd have, you know, two epics, effectively. Yeah, you already have the infrastructure. You've got SSDs and readers. We shoot 24 frames a second. And if we want to shoot... Here's the thing. If you want to shoot, like, two camera stuff, 24 frames a second totally makes sense, or 2398. Yep. If you wanted to shoot high speed, it's probably not multiple camera stuff. You're not going to do, like, a multi-camera shoot at 300 frames or 120 frames a second. If it is that specific, then, yeah, you're renting. It's a shot. Well, no, but we just use our... Our X or yeah, yeah. M or yeah. our M because you've now got our X. Mm. And um, yeah. And also the other thing is when I say you've got our X, quite frankly, you're a nice guy. And if we wanted to have three, we'd just say, hey, Jace, can we exactly. borrow the X? And you'd be like, no. in the same way that we'd lend you the M. Absolutely. So as we work together, it's, you know, pretty much a no-brainer. Yeah. I, I will say this, though, a um, bit of a question mark as to what to get in the way of uh, media and stuff for it. Should we go for the 56, the 64, or the 120? I still think the 128 is a sweet spot. Yeah. So I suggested that. Um, yeah, I mean, I get particularly more for uh, Scarlet, where you're not going to be doing a lot of overcranking, or, and HDRX isn't going to be fe- isn't going to feature so much in your 
uh, in your rush has been. So 64 probably is a, a, an option as well. But, yeah, 128 is probably still a sweet spot. I mean, even, I've, got even a with one, Scarlet. I've got a 64 uh, card, and I have a 64 card because if anyone wants to borrow it, that's what I let them borrow it with because right. if they lose it or eat yeah. it or sit on it or something, it's not very uh, expensive. Yeah. I will say this. I mean, I really think that the Scarlet's just a 4K camera, and and people have been like, oh, you can't do 5K, it's only 4K. It's like, only 4K? I mean... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See this exponential curve we were talking about? Exponential only, expectations. Yeah, only vastly greater than um, Alexa or, uh, you know, a Canon or anything else for that matter. And I will say this. I, I just totally think that if you're doing, as we are, an interview sometimes, I mean... 4K HD is just the perfect format. You can blow it up. You can move around in it. Yeah. It looks great. It's perfectly 19, uh, 16 by 9. And why would I want anything different? Now, if I'm doing episodic or I was doing a drama or I was doing a short film with you, I could totally buy it. But then, as I say, we've got a couple of epics between us for doing that. A lot of time, though, you're traveling and you're doing, you know, you're on the road and reasonably quick turnarounds. You're creating tw- uh, double the uh, data of, that needs processing, rendering, exporting, encoding. Yeah, I was speaking to a friend this morning who has an Epic and they got a Samurai simply so they would have the 1920 by 1080 sort of pre-ready to go hmm. for editing. And I could see that, but for me, I'm trying to get a lightweight package. Yeah, I don't get that. But I've got to say that brings us to the other piece of news, which is that, oh my God, Applause Central, we now have playback on camera. Uh, that is true, indeed. I haven't I haven't loaded it up onto the X yet. Uh, obviously, no doubt you guys leapt onto it day one. Well, yeah, but I think the thing is like uh, the the critical thing about playback on the camera is it is it was released first as like an alpha build, mm. so it's not unreasonable that you wouldn't immediately whack Absolutely. it on your camera if you're doing any production work with it. Particularly as there's been a little bit of the odd glitch on on cameras around with uh, with beta builds. Yeah, yeah. And, and beta, you know, Red Cine X. Well, you're referring to the um, Philip Bloom. Bloomgate. Bloomgate. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of felt sorry for Philip about that. Oh, look, absolutely. You know, I, 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 I could see it happening to me. <laughs> I mean, um, there's been some issues with uh, drop frames, skipping frames, and I, I also he's had issues with the partic- his particular camera, but uh, also had with the replacement camera had had issues on beta builds. Uh, of uh, audio of, of missing missing dropping frames, but I think that may have been related to uh, Red Cine X Pro. Actually, I, I, I was saying I felt sorry for him for the uh, storm that happened on Red User when he posted on his blog his opinions about the camera. And I've got to say that uh, I don't think it does the industry or the community a great service to just go at someone because they express their opinion on their own bloody website. See, there's this thing about Red User. It's this kind of... It's this sort of bed of nails that everybody on there just is like walking around trepidatiously not really wanting to say what they feel uh, for fear of just being kicked off it. It's kind of... It's a little bit of a strange atmosphere in there and the moment that someone comes in there and actually says what they think, well, like on, a thousand fairness, people just yeah, pile on them. To him, say, he didn't actually post it in Red User, right? He posted it on his own blog. Sure, absolutely. I mean, you'd be asking for trouble if you went into Red this User and posted, but he didn't even do that. Somebody just said, oh, Phillips posted over on his blog, and then somebody went ape crazy on all fours about how he was being paid by Sony, which 
Um, actually, yeah. I couldn't. Re- I, by the time I got to it, I couldn't even read the original post because it had been deleted. Yeah. And Jim jumped in himself and just said, "It's Stuck stupid." Up for him. Yeah, it um, is stupid. Um, you know, there is, there is just a whole crowd and red user who you know not a whole crowd but you know there's a certain there's factors in there that uh, are just fanboy to the extreme that they will just pile on to anybody who says uh, anything other than awesome brilliant well done great guys can't wait you know I think um, and no doubt they all piled on from from red user over to Phil's blog and just kind of just trance that I mean, here's the thing. Like, anyone that's serious about cinematography should be able to have a sensible discussion that points out the pros and cons of stuff. And look, I can, and we have pointed out that, you know, there are things about Red that are incredibly annoying. Mm. doesn't mean we don't buy the camera, but I mean, you know, they're incredibly annoying things about my children, but I love them to death. And I would take a bullet for them, you know, and then twice on Sunday, you know, but I mean, seriously... Yeah, I, no, I, I, I adore them. I mean, I just would never hear anyone else say a word against them. But it's you know, a good analogy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. We, hello, we hello. bought we bought a camera. You know, yeah. we love it. I just you know, we just ordered something from the store and we just bought all this other stuff. Didn't just buy a camera. But, you, know, you know, it's not it's, shooting uh, with it next it's week. It's not shoot. unreasonable to say, hey, I had a lot of problems with this camera. You know, and they addressed them, but you know, it really screwed me up here. Or be warned, this isn't a point and shoot. Or you know, just say, hey, I'm really fucking fed up with the fact that i ordered this part and it's been months and it was meant to be shipping and three got shipped and i haven't got one and hello yeah because i uh, quite frankly in the rest of human civilization okay not rest of human civilization i'm slightly exaggerating um in the rest of the camera community there are often delays there are problems but red takes the cake for you know here's a canon pushing the friendship you can't get one say. for ages yeah um now I say that having got one, so I'm you know sounding like I'm being completely spoiled rotten. But I understand when somebody complains about that, and I don't say to them, "Oh my God, how dare you!" Um, I say, "Yeah, let's you know." I think they need to fix that, and they do. And, and as they have stated, that they, they will. Yeah, but I mean by December, sorry, does January. It, does it February? Does February. That make, <laughs> does that make it? But hang on, does that does it, does saying that? Like I mean, surely friends can sell friends that friends need to you know stop doing something if it's annoying it doesn't mean you hate them <laughs> but you know we have it's a little bit of boy who cried wolf you know we have heard stuff it's, you know there's been numerous updates to back orders you know back order update oh another back order update and so you know what, what got said the first time is completely voided um so i don't know you sort of take everything with a pinch of salt as you know as it's their motto yeah, exactly. You, you, yeah, exactly. You need to either buy in to working with the supermodel or not. <laughs> I thought you were going to go there with the supermodel analogy. That's not for the show. Yeah. Why have we already done that on the show? You haven't done it on the show. No, let's not do that. <laughs> um, mm. hmm. so, uh, so anyway, that's, uh, that's that. Um, so thank you so much. Actually, really sincerely, thank you so much to Red for getting the uh, playback. And and on the playback point, you know, it should be noted that Ari took eight months, I think, to get playback on camera. I think Red took ten. Like, getting playback on camera is almost as hard as getting recording on camera. So we knew it was going to be hard. And for those people that worked incredibly hard to make it happen, uh, I say an honest and not in any way sarcastic thank you because it really just makes a huge difference to many of us. Yeah, look, I'm I'm hoping for the uh, playback to be out of 
beta and get to one of the production builds because I really just although I, mean, I think my camera's still on the X is still on the same build it shipped with I think it's been updated and I just kind of mm. like it that way it works you turn it on you shoot rushes come out and everything's in sync and everything plays back well, so yeah because we made that the production camera we made the other one the, <laughs> uh, the test bed <laughs> that's right so um, but that's but, cool but yeah but you haven't had major issues with beta stuff either really here's the thing right if you asked me would I like to be on the beta program for red I would sign up before you'd finish the sentence so I have no problem with that. I have yeah. no problem with testing. I actually have sure, no problem with that. Uh, well, okay, but I'm just saying, like, I, I like that. Yeah. But I'm the same with Flame. I'm the same with, you know, if Adobe said to me, would you like to be on beta for Lightroom, even though there's a chance it might, you know, do something to one of the photos you take, I'd still sign up. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you lose your Lightroom uh, library, then you don't have uh, a client saying, where's my $100,000 project? Yeah, but I'd still say <laughs> that's the kind of guy. Slightly different. So, yeah, if you, if you love that kind of environment, then Red is an, uh, a cool answer. But I've got to tell you that, like, uh, that public beta thing, I mean, it's quite common these days. It's not like uh, it used to be. Yeah, no, look, I, I'm, I'm glad it's here. Um, I just can't enable it just yet to... Because uh, I don't think you can really roll back past... Uh, I guess you can, go, you can always go back to the production build. But you know what I want? I want now a phantom... <laughs> the exponential curve the continues. Yes. No, but seriously, man. Like 25 grand? Oh, the, yes. Okay. Yeah, the phantom. Okay, now it's only 1280 by 800, but at 3,260 frames, I could film so many water balloons popping for that. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. So what Mike's talking about is the new... Uh, well, I think this is a... a they've had the Miro Miro... Um, range out for a little while. This is the new ones. They've got the 310, uh, 210 and 110, I think. They've got uh, a few of these. I guess they're sort of, you can call them about the size of an Epic, but on its side, basically. It's yeah, but, but it takes a cam You put it in your palm cam. It'll have, there's PL or EOS uh, or Nikon okay, uh, mounts. It's, it's got the same size mounts. center as the larger Phantom. Exactly. Same it's got a Canon lens on it. Yep. And you can shoot 3,260 frames. So I have no at reason se- to at buy se- this. At 720, oh. essentially, you can extract... It does 1280 by 800, so yeah. you can extract a 720p out of that at 3,260, which is uh, faster at, faster than some of the other Phantoms at, at, at 1080p. It is faster than a moving anything. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty impressive. Uh, it's quite small, about one one and a half kilos. It... Uh, actually has an internal uh, battery slot at the back you can put uh, sony you know part of the sony battery system and on the back of it runs off 12 to 28 but has in, obviously internal battery system uh will work with the phantom wireless like the bluetooth remote control unit they have uh, so it's you know it can be quite self-contained so it's quite it's it's a very much more of a rig camera really for the rig phantom because i think someone someone had this uh project from they were asking about the other day which was you know they wanted to rig something they wanted to do sl- super super slow-mo on a uh, on a roller coaster and the idea would have been to put a phantom on which would have been incredibly uh, hard to rig with the g-forces involved in that larger camera this would have been perfect for it to uh you know and we're going to straight out to board broadcast so 720p would have been perfectly fine uh given that most stuff here broadcasts on about 200 about 5 by 12 pixels at um, mpeg1 
So uh, it would have been great. So Phantom Myro 310, there's uh, links and pics in the show notes, but uh, about 25 grand coming out mid-Jan, and they have a range, so you don't quite have to go to 3,200 at 1280 by... Yeah, but 3,265, <laughs> that's 135th of real time. So if one second was normally one second, one second would now become 135 seconds, right? So that's like, that's like two and a half minutes per second of real of like film time so like saying it but and you're like two and a half minutes later i could see that played back yeah, it is impressive not i could in two and a half minutes i could see it play back i could then watch it for two and a half minutes while it played back is what i should say <laughs> and it uses the same sort of ram packs as the uh full-size phantoms but, um, but joking so. aside for a second i actually honestly cannot think of a single thing that i would actually need to film like that <laughs> <laughs> Well, as I say, rig, rig cam, because, crash cam, at really super slow mo. Yeah, but but okay, but that's like for a thirty second ad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've just yeah. made five thirty second ads. Sure. Out of one second of action. Sure, you should have picked the best thirty seconds or best twenty five seconds, and then five but, seconds but for the logo. A, but I'd have to pick like, I'd have to pick literally. But that'd like, be a fantastic twenty five seconds. Well, yeah, but for one take, for one whole ad, I would have to find something that was interesting for a. What like basically would be about a sixth of a second, allowing for the logo at the end. If you can get something that's really interesting that only takes a sixth of a second long, you could make one shot, thirty second ad, and put a logo at the end. I, I don't. I'm not thinking that I'm creatively. I'm a bit out of juice there. Uh, no, no, I reckon. No? Would you how fast you you know how fast suddenly fascinating slow motion becomes? You know, something as simple as popping a water balloon. Okay. Uh, okay. And, and no, 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 Back up. Okay, so something as simple as okay, give me a second example. Because uh, somebody's uh, already made the popping water sure. balloon ad because yes. called Schweppes. Yeah, did a reasonably good job at it. They did yeah. a great job at it. But my point yeah. is, there aren't that many things that are that interesting. Like somebody jumping, or hitting the ground, or even being punched in the face, yeah. just isn't that Depends interesting. Who's being punched, but yes, no, I think no, even a sixth of a second of somebody being punched in the face. Well, I don't think I'm giving anything away because I think they abandoned the ad. But the idea for this one they were talking about was, you know, one of those take you up to the Tower of Death thing and drop you, yeah. right, thing. So if you imagine that, the expressions on someone's face over, you don't have to necessarily go 3,000 frames a second, okay? But I'm saying 1, at 3,000, you'd only get, like, the, their, their nose flaring slightly <laughs> and their mouth just starting to open. And that's the whole fucking ad for, like, right, well, don't, we'll go 1,000, 1,500 frames a second. But the point is that you can actually get the camera here, get the camera there because this is really small. So if you imagine You'd have to maybe one it. second, that one, that critical one second where those ten, five people in frame go from like not maybe, moving at all maybe to if I could film terminal getting, velocity or... Getting their head decapitated those, just as the axe hits <laughs> the back of their neck. I think for my uh, I medieval think it could be quite interesting. Game of Thrones. If you put humans HBO in it, then it becomes, you know, twice, as we talked no, about. No, humans, you put humans in things too and it's slow. It's way too slow. At that speed, it's way too slow. You need something much more interesting. That first one second where someone suddenly goes from normal to as zero as gravity. Formula One car hits stuff. the wall just for that sixth of a second as it has a shockwave that goes up the line of the uh, the outside carbon fibre hull of the Formula One car. But then you've got to crash a Formula One car to get interesting shots. Well, so, up yeah. until this point, what you probably would have had to do to rig this would have been a Photosonics, a 16mm camera or a GSAP, which is like 100, 100, 100 foot loads of 16mm. So you'd be restricted <laughs> to 16mm, you'd have a terrific gate weave, uh, all the issues of no playback and all that sort of stuff, um, and one shot deal. This is you know, all in the same palm of your hand, 25 grand, and it'll go 
five times, ten times the speed that one of those other ones would. They were probably limited, I think, about 600, 500 frames a second. Okay, well... So, pretty impressive. Okay. This is As the exponential expectation curve, I think this is pretty high up there for 25 grand. All right, well, let me change the subject because this is our holiday edition. We had no news, so we're, <laughs> we're, just going down. we're having a holiday from any content whatsoever, any I content. think, today. If you've managed to stick with us to this, the 39th <laughs> minute of the podcast, we have a present for you. So we are giving away a, and this is not a joke, this is dead serious, um, we're giving away a brand new copy of Vegas Pro from Sony. Um, this is a prize that we're giving out because, uh, quite frankly, we like you guys. We wanted to announce this in the middle of the show so it would only be diehard listeners. Now, we had thought of a number of ways that we could <laughs> yeah, give we away. We tested you up front. Yeah, tested you up front. If <laughs> you didn't make it to the 39th minute, you're not one of us. Okay, now, here's the thing. This is, uh, we'll ship it anywhere in the world. There is no restrictions. Um, we will just personally package it up and send it to you no matter where you live we make however no guarantees on anything past that we're not we're not sony um but it's a proper 100 percent uh brand new unopened version of vegas pro as a prize and we had a number of ideas for doing this first it was going to like you know first person to blah 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 and we thought that's not very fair that's always not yeah it never works let's work on time zones and then we realized that we've got nab coming up and we wanted to get some t-shirts done Possibly caps, but we're thinking T-shirts. And we were mm-hmm. thinking, what would we put on the front of our T-shirts? And this was a separate discussion. For FX PhD, we came up with um, go fix it yourself in post. And, and, <laughs> which, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I like it too, right? And Well, I, I thought of it. But anyway, the idea being, of course, that you know, it teaches you how to do stuff yourself in post, but also it had a kind of edge to it, you know, go fix it yourself. Um, and so we thought, what would be the red center slash rc equivalent of that what is the what is our podcast's slogan to go on a t-shirt so if you can come up with that slogan that we like we'll send you this i think 600 dollars copy of vegas pro and assuming we get the t-shirts made uh we'll get you a t-shirt as well when they're done absolutely so there you go so that's our uh, our prize and caps i think we should definitely do caps now if nobody enters we won't give away any more prizes you're gonna give them caps as well I've been don't do caps. Okay. Well, maybe we'll do a cap and not a t-shirt. It depends how long the slogan is. Uh, anyway, so we've been... So, yeah. So, we don't normally give away stuff because we think it's a bit funny, but we like Sony. We like Vegas Pro. We think that you will like it too. So, uh, if you'd like to participate, uh, please uh, enter. <laughs> the way to enter is to email the response to us. Don't put it on Twitter because we're not going to be having... We don't want to arbitrate who posted it first on twitter and who retweeted it yeah it's not about being first no it's about the idea how about that going for the idea pithy clever inventive so what what should they email us to uh that's an excellent question mike i think it is rc at fxguide.com okay yes you're absolutely correct that wasn't meant to be a spot quiz it is rc i was wondering if we had a special um promotional one for the sale but anyway oh, okay. see what i mean whether it's a special one for the contest but it isn't just the normal rc email address which is rc at fxguide.com and um yes and so we'd love you to come up with something uh funny pithy witty but also of course relevant we don't want something that involves um being mean to other people or biased to any one product um, but other than that... Although I mentioned to think that you might think that's what we're all about. You think? All right. Moving right along. That's our competition. Um, and we'll try and get you... Uh, probably do in a week or two. We'll let you know how we're going next week. We've got no no entries. We won't keep giving stuff away. If, if there's a lot of entries, we'll say, okay, you guys like this and we'll give you more stuff. Because um, we, you know, can get access to some stuff sometimes. Okay. Yeah. 
The Red Room. Okay, so this week in The Red Room, uh, Jace, you sat down with Shane Herbert, who's actually um, a really well-established DP. But I guess, uh, as you discuss in the podcast, there are two things that are really interesting about his work. Firstly, after his work on Terminator Salvation, he did a bunch of stuff with um, SLRs, which really gained a lot of prominence. We spoke to him after that, and that was kind of interesting. Um, and his views now moving forward, and there's a terrific part of this interview where you actually ask him about how we redo that uh, today. But the other thing that I thought was interesting is his work that he's been doing uh, in actually designing or working with uh, one of the equipment rig makers uh, to produce a kind of a, well, I guess it's a line of, of uh, master cinema series. I guess it is, isn't it? Yeah, well, the idea is based on, and I really don't think there is anything out there, it's a tough ask trying to do this, is a system that works for not necessarily DSLRs. This is to be able to adaptable from anything to Epic, C300s. There's going to be a, a cage that will let you put whatever camera in it. But what's, what, what he likes and what I do miss about using something like the Panavision system, it's very modular and you can, just by clicking on a couple of things and clicking off a couple of things, go from a very lightweight rig to a handheld rig to a full studio rig with the same camera at the center of the system. So that's the idea behind uh, the master, the Cinema Master Series. All right, well, let's cross to that interview now uh, with Shane and Jason in the Red Room. You're entering the Red Room. Shane, thanks for taking your time mate i know it's yeah you're a pretty busy guy you're uh, i think last i checked your schedule looked like some sort of military movement order yeah. <laughs> um always great to have you on the show well thank you so much jason there has been a lot of water under the bridge since we last spoke which was february 2010 yes very <laughs> very exciting times and uh you know november 3rd was kind of uh one of those days where we all you know, huddled around the campfire to see what Cannon was up to. And, and uh, I had kind of been uh, in talks with them way prior, a year and a half before this release, to kind of design this camera. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, it was everything that we would hoped it would be in regards to its size and its form factor and its platform. I don't know if the price was exactly what all of us wanted it to be but uh you know it's it's a uh, it's the beginning and i think uh, more than anything uh, i think that's what canon is trying to say as well is that this is just the first uh go round and uh, many more are on the the burner and they are going to uh they're, they're going to come to Hollywood with their color space and their chip technology, which I think is pretty uh, superior. I'm going to read between the lines and say that the C300 didn't entirely light your fire. Yeah, I mean, what it did was I loved the fact that you had, you know, SDI, HDMI ports. Uh, you know, the camera has, it's very small. You can... You can put it in all the places that I can, you know, uh, put the 5D. You can put it on a RC helicopter. Uh, the, the high ISO range is phenomenal. Its grain structure uh, as a camera, eliminating the fixed pattern noise, is amazing. I mean, we were doing tests with the Area Alexa and the C300, and... 
at 12,000 ISO, uh, it looked like 800 ISO on the Alexa. Yeah. So, you know, it's like this is really going to, I mean, from a cinematographer's standpoint, this is really going to open up uh, a whole new way to light uh, at night, uh, night interiors, uh, on stage, you know, all, all your lighting on stage. But in a day exterior, day interior, it's not going to change much because you're still going to have to be blasting in light to balance and you're going to still need the big heads and everything that uh, you uh, would normally need to be able to balance inside and out. But from a perspective of night interior, night exteriors and stage work, I think this is going to bring a whole can of whoop ass uh, on your lighting packages and you're going to be doing a lot with less. Yeah, that came up a little bit about this whole conversation that, well, the camera gets fast, so hey, we don't have to light, or we don't have to light so much, and the whole craft of lighting gets dumbed down just because our camera's going to start seeing in the dark. No, I mean, the biggest disservice you can do to a camera is use available light. The biggest disservice you can do as a cinematographer is just use available light. Now, that's not what we do. We shape available light. And that's what I find that, I'm gonna, uh, that I've been doing with this technology, whether it's on the 5D, whether it's on the Alexa, whether it's on the C300, uh, you know, is, is showing up at a night exterior, uh, turning that camera on, seeing tons of depth and tons of dimension that if I was shooting film, I would not. So... I would uh, usually have to, if I was lighting six, eight city blocks, I would, you know, have my crew come in two, three day pre-rig and they would go and they would attach street lamps. Uh, They would attach these lights that mimic the same color temp and everything uh, to the street lamps to be able to light as many uh, street lamps up and may I, maybe I go every other or uh, skip one, skip two, you know, whatever the case may be, uh, bring in light from different sides to highlight buildings and everything. That's the old days. Now what I'm doing is you literally bring in a crew uh, the night before and they're called a take the light away crew. And uh, they literally go down with uh, their condors and stuff, and they black wrap every uh, sensor on the street lamps that I don't want to turn be on. And we, we create mood and depth and dimension by taking the existing available light away, then adding it. And I find that now I'm using just uh, a smaller package to be able to use accents. If I want to sheen a fence line that's going to separate the people that uh, are walking by and I can hide it around the, the corner or if I want to highlight a church way in the background that doesn't have enough uh, light on it uh, or if I want to add some kino flows, fluorescence in the background to kind of silhouette the figures uh, in the foreground. It's, it's very about accent lighting instead of big, broad strokes like it used to be. And this is very exciting for me because I've always been 
based in reality as a cinematographer. I love sodium vapor lights. I love mercury vapor. I love metal halide, cool white fluorescence, all the, the warms and the, and the uh, cyans and all these weird mix of, of uh, not color-corrected lights. I've been lighting with them since Crazy Beautiful in 2000. So that's kind of something that I'm very much about. Every film I do has these very uncolor corrected lights. I really don't like the Hollywood my nights with blue moonlight because you know I'm I'm not a blue moonlight guy. I'm more of a gray uh, moonlight guy. You know, it's like it's it's to each his own. But I really try to embrace the reality of what's out there on the street or what's in a parking garage or wherever it is and try not to go through there and color correct it and, and uh, make it, uh, you know, Hollywood. Yeah. But we had this discussion in previous shows that it's all very nice to say the camera doesn't matter and any good shooter can get great images with any camera. But I'm kind of calling bullshit on that. It's a great statement. It's a nice thing to say, but gear choice is definitely important. Yes, I mean, I think that what you have to do is is the story will speak to you uh, with the right choice of, you know, your right tool, your, your right brush. Uh, I think that when I look back on the films that, I, that I've shot, uh, you know, I think what I gravitated towards story-wise was... Not so much the camera, because it was either Panavision or Aeroflex, but it was the lens choice. Uh, And the lens choice would speak to me in regards to what the film felt like, what the the mood, how the camera was going to move, what was our, uh, you know, palette. Uh, And with that, you made your decision... Uh, and your decision to go with a specific glass and a specific camera system. I've used probably out of my 17 features that I've shot, I've probably, I think, done at least 14 of them or 13 of them on Panavision and uh, the rest on Aeroflex. Uh, and those choices were made on regards to, in regards to whether I wanted, you know, cook uh, look, or if I wanted a, an old vintage look, I went with these 1963, uh, old ultra primes from Panavision. Uh, I did that on, we are Marshall greatest game ever played semi pro those, uh, films that I wanted a, a vintage look on. I used very old antique glass. If I want a very stark look, Terminator was all shot on the Primo Primes. I loved their their contrast range and their sharpness and and that. And when I did Into the Blue, I really loved uh, the cook glass. And I thought the the flaring that I would have on the water and uh, they would they would help me cut that and be able to really deliver really rich blue tonalities and beautiful skin tones. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to light a lot. So, you know, I chose the lens for the story as well as, you know, what I would be handed, uh, at sea. Yeah. 
And so I think that now looking back, uh, I think those choices were, uh, you know, I, I think I made the right choices on, on the lenses and, and, or the camera system, uh, active valor, which is coming out in February, 2012. That was a film where the Canon 5d was truly the only tool to tell the story because we didn't want to do an action picture just to do another action picture. Uh, Scotty and mouse, uh, the, the two directors at bandito brothers, we wanted to reinvent the action genre and that's what this film does. And it does it with the assistance of the five D, uh, being its, uh, unique point of views, uh, putting cameras where you've never seen them before, uh, being able to move a camera with not physically moving the mass that we've been moving for 50 some odd years, uh, moving it in your hand and getting very physical and intimate and visceral and immersive. And there's no other brush, uh, in my quiver that could have pulled that off. The trailer alone is outstanding. I can't wait for the film. It looks uh, fantastic. It's not just all action. It has emotion and it has story. Oh, it, absolutely. I mean, that's the one thing that's so... that I mean, I had uh, Vincent LaFerre. I brought him into the screening room and I screened the film for him. And he was literally blown away. Uh, you know, you're emotionally engaged. You love these seals. You go on the journey. You know their families. You you meet all of them. They're all real. You know, the 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 guy who is their breacher is literally tossing his child into the air, you know, the night before their deployment and, uh, you know, heading off on that C-130 and them all waving goodbye. I mean, this is real emotion, real family, real SEALs. Nothing like this has ever been done before. And the connection that you have to these characters uh, because it's real is pretty cool. I mean, that's the, the, in a nutshell, that's what makes this movie so different. Not only the camera, uh, you know, work and how it's very out of the box. It's, it's out of the box in regards to the story. And the story is, is the ability of us to be a fly on the wall to look through their eyes and go on all these real missions with these, this, these elite warriors was pretty uh, special. I want to touch on another big project you've been working on, which is teaming up with Lettuce to develop the Master Cinema series, which is the evolution of the rigs that you've been using on things like Active Valor. But what did you feel was missing out there that pushed you to co-develop these rigs? Well, I think more than anything, it was out of necessity. Uh, I kept on taking pieces and parts of every manufacturer's and building my own rig. And I was like, why am I doing this? Uh, let's just build what I've been trying to build for six, eight months. Uh, and it was, it was truly me just having a month of not doing anything. Other than, you know, a commercial here, a commercial there, but like not infused. I just gotten off of Kin, which was a movie I shot up in Montreal uh, in the winter of, uh, of this year, 20, 
2011. So I had just gotten back in May and I had like two weeks to like look at my uh, rental division, look at my rigs that uh, we had been putting out there, these long, obscure, counterweighting, you know, things, all this junk way out in front of you. And I was like, you know, this is not the way I shoot. This is not, uh, this is not a film camera. We have to turn this DSLR into a film camera. So that's where I just went on this mission and I, I, uh, started reconfiguring. And the minute we had uh, electronic viewfinder on board, Zakuda or Cineroid, I was able to really reconfigure the rigs and shrink them and bring them much smaller. And then, uh, I was speaking up in Portland, uh, at a, uh, Canon event and all of a sudden I was heading back. My wife and I were heading back to, uh, to Los Angeles. And this person came up to me and he said, uh, I am Hian Lee. Uh, I am the owner of Lettuce. And I want to work with you. And he literally bought a ticket to get through security to meet me. And I was like, all right, that sounds <laughs> awesome. So uh, I invited him down to uh, Hurlbut Visuals, and we basically, uh, I got a Panavision camera, I got an Aerie 235, and we sat there and looked at what has worked over decades and what is missing, and we uh, started drawing on a napkin, and six months later, we have full production of this uh, Master Cinema series. And, the, and what's so cool about it is it is a system. It's a platform. And it's not just DSLR-based. Uh, once you cage these plastic boxes that everyone seems to be designing, uh, once it's caged, this whole Master Cinema series works along with it. Uh, it's just like Aeroflex or Panavision. Once you have this sexy cage, caging your Scarlet, your Epic Red, your uh, your FS100, your F3, your 1D, 5D, 7D, whatever the case, whatever your tool to unleash your creativity, we build a cage around it. Yeah, and it seems very interesting and very adaptable from the fully kitted up down to the bottom end of the range, I guess. No, absolutely. Uh, and, and because that's what's the power of these small cameras. The C300, the, the Red Epic, the Red Scarlet, and uh, the Colt Canon DSLR platform. You can build them as big or as small as you want. Uh, F3, FS100, they're kind of big and bulky to begin with. Uh, so these cameras that are smaller, like a box of buttons, uh, we're caging that and making it so uh, it has handles. You can rig onboard monitors. You can put remote follow focus, MDRs, Anton Bowers, you name it. Uh, we have this beautiful platform for you to uh, unleash your creativity. I always say, let's just, we, we made this master cinema series to throw gasoline on your passion 
because there is not a system out there that looks and feels like a 35 millimeter motion capture device. And that's what this system does. Uh, and it's very affordable. And that's what's so cool about it is we didn't want to go out there and say, all right, we're going to be making Aeroflex. Well, nobody can afford it. We wanted to be able to make it so Aeroflex quality, amazing design from pulling from Panavision and Aeroflex and put it into something that everyone can afford. I think what's key with all of them is balance. As we have the ability to get that viewfinder forward, you have the yep. ability to put the camera back now. Instead of holding all that weight out the front, you can put it right over your shoulder. As soon as you put that weight dead on top of your shoulder, it becomes an incredibly different piece of kit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, ours feels so comfortable. Uh, and, you know, it's the weight that's in the back is the exact weight of a fourth of a 235, 400 foot mag, five and a quarter pounds. The leather uh, shoulder pad is made as a wedge because your shoulder is not, not flat. flat. <laughs> so the wedge actually rolls the camera and makes it, you know, perfectly uh, flat on your shoulder. Uh, the camera is like you're saying directly over your shoulder line, just like a, a 235 would be. Uh, the other thing that's really cool about that is imagine holding a camera way out in front of you. And when you're doing pans, well, you're physically panning the camera as well as, you know, you're swinging it. So there's two, it's like an X, Y movement. Where when it's over your shoulder, you're just panning the camera. Mm. So a lot of these rolling shutter anomalies that everyone's been talking with and everything, imagine you're holding a camera out in front of you and you're swinging it. Uh, uh, adds to a lot of the rolling shutter issues as well. Um, the man cam that we have, I really love because what that is doing is it's a whole new uh, film language of movement. And that's what <clears throat> on Active Valor, just moving with the seals in that configuration created uh, a feeling of tension, uneasiness that you never would have gotten from a shoulder rig. Uh, because shoulder rig is, it's handheld, but it still has, a, you know, a slight steadiness to it uh and this one has this unsettling kind of movement that just puts you on edge and that's really what we went to every time we were on an op with them and they were moving through the jungle or they were coming up on a, a target uh everything was man cam it was it was our way to move with them because it gets to a certain stage when you are moving so rapidly and thinking sort of tactically that you just can't put something on your shoulder. No, and you can't see your surroundings because we were constantly reacting to what we saw. And when you're, when you're walking with a camera and you have one eye in your eyepiece and the other you're trying to keep open to see what's going on, but you just you can't get as close to them either. Yeah. And that's what I really loved because you're holding it out. You can sling it really close to their shoulder and be down on the gun and move your arm down and be on their feet and then boom up. I mean, it's like you're a, 
you know, it's like you're this moving techno crane, you know, where you can be up overhead and down, down on the ground and, and uh, all at the same time. And, and that's what really uh, excited me about that, uh, you know, style of photography. The action camps was basically stripping it way down to just like the bare bones of just a camera and like a top handle to be able to grab like a remote follow focus motor and just be able to sling it around in cars in the back of, of, uh, you know, the pickup truck bed, uh, pulling the physicality of pulling it down a, a 40 mic mic missile before he fired it, you know, just all those kind of handheld but still having a remote follow focus and a first ac there just uh you know rocking out the focus for us and then the studio cam uh was really a answer to all these electronic viewfinders that are coming on the market and they're all hooking you up with this locked piece of aluminum yeah and it's like, well, the minute you pan or tilt, I mean, it's off of your eye. You've got to be a contortionist. And we just took from what, you know, Panavision has been doing for decades with eyepiece leveling and just uh, made that so with the electronic viewfinder. And I think it, it really changes the way you operate, whether you're on a dolly, whether you're on a Dana dolly, on a slider, uh, you know, or on sticks. It really... Uh, it enables you to become much more one with the camera. The EVF has really been the missing little link in this kit that's allowed just to get this weight backwards or get it forward or you know put it on an eyepiece extension with uh, an EPL. And No, absolutely. And uh, once that invention happened, I knew uh, with Lettuce's help and beautiful engineering, we could bring... Uh, a platform to the market that would really professionalize this uh, digital capture medium that everyone is really, you know, jumping on the bandwagon. Whether you're buying a Scarlet or buying an FS100 or a C300, this system wraps around it perfectly and and, and really uh, gives you all the tools that I, as a uh, cinematographer, have been using for the last 16 years. Well, what are you going to be buying then, Shane? If you were going to be doing Active Valor again, what would you be using for that 25% that isn't 5D? Well, uh, if I was doing Active Valor again, I would probably shoot with the Aria Alexa uh, for all the stuff that we were doing uh, for that I used film. Uh, I would shoot Aria Alexa in all my helicopter Helinet mounts. Uh, so I was not using the F950. Uh, I would shoot 5D for all the intimate action immersion. And then I'd probably shoot the C300 for all of my low light having to go much more available and uh, shaping available light on that camera. And I think, you know, that's going to be my next film, which I'm going to be doing in April, will be that cocktail. But it will be surrounded and textured by Cinefilm. 
because what I'm finding is I went to see, uh, I've seen a, some Alexa movies out there, and they, when you go to see an Alexa film and then you see it on a Sony uh, digital 4K projector, it's missing that beautiful grain texture. So what we did on Active Valor is we put a grain texture over the whole film. So all the 5D footage, not only is all the compression completely uh, wiped off of it uh, by this wonderful dark, they call it the dark energy tower that uh, Cinefilm has, but they basically come in and they use an logarithm that vaporizes all the 5D compression and then they use that same logarithm to layer over grain texture, any grain texture you want. So if I was doing night exteriors, I'd low, you know, I asked uh, Monty, our texture artist, give me 5219 underexposed one and a half stops. And it's like tick, 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 bam, there it is, 5219 underexposed one and a half stop grain. And Bandito Brothers now has the Cinefilm Dark Energy Tower, and they're, we're texturing everything. Everything we do 5D or Alexa is being textured, uh, as well as compression uh, being eliminated. It's pretty revolutionary. This, this is really going to change it. I mean, it, I think that's why a lot of people have been responding to uh, how the active valor trailers look in the movie theater is because of this texture. It really makes the, the film and the five D cross cutting seamless. We're definitely going to have to speak to them. They're on my list. Can I talk about real? And it's a problem sort of every director and cinematographer encounters is steering your reel the way you want to go up until say Terminator Salvation you had a breadth of work in, in all direction and then Terminator Salvation came and you've got active valor and there's that military run and gun theme coming now clearly you're actively steering where your reel goes but uh, it's still a, a something that you have to manage it's a tough job though and a full-time one no, it's it's something that you definitely have to manage. It's something that you have to be very vigilant at, uh, whether you have an agent or a manager or something that's going out and helping you acquire this work. Uh, you know, I, I drive my agents batty with the fact that I'm like, I don't want to do action pictures anymore. I, I you know, it's not that I don't want to do them. It's just, I have to, it has to be very special. And when I chose to do Act of Valor, uh, the only reason I went there after doing Terminator Salvation is because I saw two directors, this directing team, that was just balls-to-the-wall, creative, out-of-the-box thinkers, and we were all about reinventing the action genre. So the minute that came in, I was like, okay, that's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm, I'm on board for that. I just shot a $200 million movie uh, with, uh, you know, film and, and all these visual effects and all this stuff. Uh, now I'm going to shoot uh, another action picture on a still camera. You know, it's like that kind of, that stuff excites me. It's very exciting uh, 
to to really anytime I get comfortable, I veer. So that has to do a lot with my work as well. Is I I try not to do the same thing twice. So after uh, doing Active Valor, I really wanted to do a drama, something that was really something that was really uh, character based and had a, a really cool story. And something that really had, uh, you know, that really was was uh, a character piece. And so when Stefan Rizovitsky came to me and, and asked me to shoot Kin, uh, I was like, this is perfect. It had Eric Bana, Olivia Wilde, Sissy Spacek, and Chris Christopherson four amazing actors and actresses and the story was really cool it had this kind of uh no country for old men kind of fargo uh twisted kind of killer uh vibe so i was all into that i just wanted to do something that wasn't huge uh but was really based about me just assisting these amazing actors and taking you on this journey. So, at the top of the podcast, I said there were a couple of things about this interview that I wasn't necessarily totally in sync with, which made me sort of question uh, thinking. And I guess the one that really struck with me, while I totally um, buy into his um, love of the Dark Energy Tower and the stuff that... uh, that uh, Cinefilm doing with um, with that stuff and also yeah. the Ari system. I've got to say this idea that you need to grain up digital footage kind of grates with me because I've been seeing a lot of stuff lately that looks really, really good, really, really clean. Mm. And I don't know... I mean, I get the why you'd want to take 5D footage and de-artifact it, why you'd want to take the Ari Alexa and de-artifact it, but I don't know why I'd necessarily want to be winding in lots of film grain. I just don't think a modern aesthetic requires film grain anymore. I don't think you need film grain to look cinematic. Because, I mean, obviously the conversation started around talking about Anonymous and if you start with digital and you go all the way through digitally and project digitally, does it have that sort of mm, organic feel? Is that what missing? Uh, interesting that sort of noise would make it, you know, suddenly by adding noise or or, or some sort of artifact would some, suddenly add um, or an organic feel to it. But that was the idea that it's just if you go digital all the way through that it sometimes can come out the end too clean. I haven't seen uh, much or I don't think of any seen any Alexa footage projected digitally. When I saw Anonymous, I saw it projected uh, on film. No, no, I saw so, it projected digitally, yeah. So, but I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you. You don't want to necessarily add noise. I guess it depends on what your final I mean, I think it's medium is. Four years ago, absolutely. The, the whole argument was you want to go 24 frames a second. You want to add film grain. You want to make it have the same contrast ratio. Um, you want it to, to look all organic. And my thing is I didn't buy it a lot then. I buy it even less now. I think what makes something look cinematic is a lot more to do with framing. Um, yes, I agree that shooting 360-degree uh, shutter doesn't look cinematic and shooting stuff that is clipped in the whites doesn't look cinematic. But I really don't think we still are hanging on to film grain. But four years ago, I would have 
had a different opinion. But now I just don't think it's necessary. I just don't think people... Look, no no disrespect. I'm not... This isn't aimed at Shane, but I just think that, like, a young crowd these days mm. just isn't going... I remember seeing Toy Story. No, I think it was Toy Story. It was one of the Pixar films. might have been Toy Story 2, I think, in a digital cinema. And it was obviously a digitally generated file. Um, but it was like the first time I saw something that had no film grain because it was digitally created, digitally projected, and it looked awesome. And I actually walked up to the front of the cinema to sort of stand underneath the, you know, out of the way to the side to mm. just look at it up close. It was like a, a billboard that moved. It was like a poster that had been printed that moved. And I just thought it was magnificent. There was no weave and flow. It was just awesome. And at no point did I go, ah, this film doesn't look very cinematic. And I just thought, well, why can't we have live action look like that? Now, having said that, there's another trick you can do. If you've got a piece of film, you can average like a ton of frames down. And I remember doing this with a film job we did. It was a statue. And we had a birds flying through it. And I wanted to have the birds going behind the statue. So as the statue was clearly a statue, it didn't move. It was locked off camera. I took the 100 frames I had. I took like 40 of them, I think. And I just averaged them down to one, thinking, well, that would give me a really clean blue sky. Because obviously when you have blue on film as mm. a sky it's kind of you really notice the grain yeah and the second that i took it to that all the grain got averaged out because obviously there was only one fortieth of a individual frames worth of grain contributing it just evened it all out and what you got was this pitch that looked like it'd been taken on a digital sensor but more than that the sky suddenly looked like it was a psych in a room um and i remember thinking oh that suddenly looks really fake and uh hmm but perhaps you know the want to inject noise comes from depending on what your medium is if you're shooting and i know for experience you can probably attest to this mike when you have something like the epic no one apart from the fact that it's not doesn't look that great down that end if you start to crank the iso beyond like a thousand plus or so when you've got a really fine sharp crisp image you notice the noise could I be wrong? You notice the noise a lot more, and perhaps if you're working in something that's a little bit more of a compressed format and a little bit more less resolution, you want to add something like fine grain to almost add detail, or you want to add noise to be able to break up artifacting, um, so the compression, you know, blockies and things don't sort of got get 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 thrown a little in part of the process. You know, perhaps the the need to add this noise is tied with the medium itself and if you've got a super crisp 5k sharp tack ultra tack sharp image you the last thing you want to do is go adding adding noise i yeah i mean look in in the end it's going to come down to aesthetics i think and and i totally as i said at the outset you know like who am i to argue with shane but i just feel from my own personal point of view i think that i got so used to uh, uh seeing really sharp stills and really clean stills mm. from having a digital SLR and there's an entire generation that you know no longer sees that as a aesthetic thing because they've done exactly that they are used to digital stills that are completely clean we grow up of course with film stills and then we had that transition and we kind of learnt to re-love the digital look yeah with stills first yeah I just think that for that generation, like film is no longer this romanticized thing. It's just a different thing. And a just a different thing is valid. A different thing is cool. There's nothing wrong with a different thing. Um, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, sorry, J. Edgar, which is the name of the film yep. that Clint Eastwood just done, that was mm-hmm. shot on film, right? And I'm sure it's going to look great. And I'm sure that I won't have any problem that it wasn't shot on Alexa. Um, I have no problem with that whatsoever. In fact, actually, next week on the show, we're going to have Michael Conti on, who was 
um, the sort of on-set slash post guy. Um, many of you know Michael from Light Iron, uh, but on the Muppets. And so he came off Pirates. Uh, Light Iron did the Muppets, and they're now doing Dragon Tattoo. All three of those films obviously shot on the red. And we have this discussion with him about um, workflow. So that's what coming up next week on the show. I just think that that you know this look, this clean look, is just a different look to film. But no longer do I tie that film grain artifact into what I would call cinematic. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 different schools of thought, and it is it is comes down to personal taste. So yeah, I'm not sticking up for one way or another. I think sometimes a little little tiny bit of bit of bit of grain if it looks granular can look can look interesting particularly in, in stills i've done a lot of stuff with 5d and uh it, you know, as as a, a raw still and i don't know particularly if you're working in black and white something quite nice about adding just a little bit of grain to a black and white image and that's a very different you know to what we're talking about to moving um moving color color vision but it's very interesting if you're doing so black and white imagery to add to that it. little bit of yeah, add that to bit do of noise. it as a look. Just it isn't the thing. No, it's not a, a overall must do as part of your whole workflow for every project. Yeah, if you had a list of things that I would I would choke at, you know, we're in a pre pro meeting and you say, Well I want to shoot with film, I mean, okay, if you want to add grain, yeah, okay, if you want that's now if you start saying I want to shoot a three sixty degree shutter and I want to shoot thirty frames a second and then convert it to twenty five. Yeah. Now I'm start. literally choking going, yeah. what, no. why am I doing this? Yeah. Um by the way, the stuff that we were talking about before, the stuff that um uh that Shane was talking about in terms of the um uh dark energy tower, that actually is also the ARRI relativity stuff and and if you're doing any research on that, and we'll probably put some links in the show notes, um, that stuff actually also is heavily used in, which made me think of it, conversion between 30 and 24, um, basically. So if you're doing some research about it and you hit a whole lot of that, there's like half of that or three quarters of that universe is all about um, frame rate conversion and uh, pull-down conversion, all that kind of stuff. And then there's a separate bit, which is the bit to do with ARRI and the bit to do with uh, what he was referring to with the... Uh, with the dark energy tower, I only say that because I was talking to somebody about it, and they only knew it for the frame rate conversion, and they were right. like, "Why do you need frame rate conversion if you're shooting 23?" And I'm like, "Well, 23.98." And I was like, "Well, you don't. That's just part of the equation." But it got a lot of, uh, it has a lot of restoration legs, and so clearly it's a good business for them. And so clearly, if you go to a website, you might be reading an article about their restoration work, and all they're talking about is the frame rate conversion. I think they're still worth talking to. I've been interested to actually hook up with them and uh, no, absolutely. Have, have the conversation. Oh, I totally agree. I'm, I, I want to know why it's called the Dark Energy Tower. <laughs> <laughs> I want to believe. Well, actually, we, we started talking to them uh, about a month or two ago, and uh, we were even trying to get a dongle. The thing is, it only runs on Windows. Right. Uh, it doesn't run on Mac, and uh, we were trying to get a dongle from them. That they're still happening. I think we just got held up with Thanksgiving and other things. But, yeah, we will swing back around on that when that uh, happens. Cool. Excellent. So, blogs and Twitters. Blogs and Twitters. Well, mostly relating to what we've, uh, unless you've got some other ones to chuck in there, Mike, I'm going to offer up uh, Shane's blog, uh, which is herbertvisuals.com slash blog as the blog du jour, which is, you know, if you want to get a little bit more, not enough Shane in your life, then uh, go there. He it does get updated quite regularly, and you know he's if you enjoy if you enjoy what he's got to say and the way he says it, which is uh, always entertaining. It's uh, definitely 
worth uh, following that blog. And Twitter-wise, we want to go to Tanachi, uh, who we mentioned before, recipient of first the first Scarlet, and his Twitter feed is Tanachi, T-O-N-A-C-I. Uh, Tanachi Tran is his full name, and obviously there's links to his website there on the Twitter feed, which is Tanachi.com. And then he has links to Vimeo's where he's posted uh, stuff that was uh, tested on Scarlet, and so you can have a look at that. Um, yeah. And I think he's, well, he is. He's posting heavily also on Red User. Yeah. No, he's a regular contributor and he's a, he's a, he's a, a, a force for good in the Red Universe in terms of gear. He's always got the first of everything. He's always got, he buys a lot of gear. He's obviously, you know, part of a rental house. He's uh, quite involved in, in, in rigging up kits and putting gear together. So he's uh, a great one to follow for stuff like that as well. And just as a as an aside, uh, because it's Thanksgiving, if you were if you're hearing this in enough time, um, there is uh, a bunch of stuff going like deals around the net. Um, I know I picked up a lens uh, because of this whole sort of Black Friday thing. Oh uh, yes, and, uh, and Cyber Monday. And Cyber Monday, yeah. So uh, there's some good deals to be had. I think Vincent Lafayette has some uh, good things on his website. Um, uh, some gadget guide stuff for Black Friday and, and other people. Yeah, I think uh, Abbott had some specials. Nothing involving ad, 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 nothing involving uh, Medium Composer itself, but a lot of their other products. I think they've got a little bit of stuff happening. Yeah, we grabbed uh, some stuff from B&H, which was good. Uh, so, uh, yeah, okay, some cool stuff. So, anyway, enter our Vegas Pro competition. Um, email us your tagline that would be cool to have on a T-shirt. And, of course, uh, we'll make you incredibly famous. Or hat. Or hat. Thanks so much for being with us on the show. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.